Maria, and I'll be your host today. I'll be co-hosting this episode with Maria Victoria Anguana. Hello, Maria Victoria Anguana. Hello, hola. Hola, Maria. This is the seventh episode of the On Discomfort series that we started recording more than a year ago. I'm going to kind of quickly go back to why we started this. I think it's interesting because we haven't go back necessarily to the explanation of this discomfort and discomfort series or how it started. So I'm just going to give a little introduction to that again. But this series of short podcasts investigates how the concepts of comfort and discomfort are entangled with the dynamics of power embedded in the production of space. Originally, we departed from Sarah Ahmed's concepts about how a concept of discomfort can be a productive place to delve into spatial politics and architecture, and we have been discussing them the past six episodes. So as I said, this is our seventh episode, and today we have very special guests. Today we are talking with Exutoir, a transdisciplinary spatial practice composed by Paul-Antoine Luca and Buikwison. They are based between Oslo and Hanoi. And I think like before continuing this introduction, I think it's interesting that we've Finally, you're bringing people that have a bit more of a design practice because we have been talking with a lot of researchers, anthropologists, but in your case, you do approach it besides being curators, but you also design. You are more into a practice that, let's say, I don't want to say practical, everything in some ways practical, but in your case, it is. But anyway, that's exciting. So hello, Paul Antoine and Son, and thank you for joining us. Hi, Maria. Hey, hello. Thanks for having us. Paul Antoine and Son. Their practice goes around teaching editorial, curatorial, and design work. They investigate social, material, and spatial justice directed to underrepresented discourses and marginalized voices. I think something that we find particularly interesting about their practice, and it's something that has also kind of built up from previous episodes, is the idea that their practice is also defined as a queer practice. And we think that discussing queer architecture from ideas of uh, comfort and discomfort is very relevant for discussion. In the second episode of this series, we were talking with Brené Boer from also one of the editors of, of, of Failed Architecture. We were talking about his book that just launched, Smooth City. But at some point, the idea of queer practices or queering architecture comes up. And this is something that kind of stayed with us, but in the other episodes, we never really discussed it. So we thought, okay, let's invite someone to talk about this. Like, what is a, what do we mean when we talk about queering architecture or a queer architecture practice? So what do you mean with a queer spatial practice and how do you kind of materialize or make this happen in your work? Yeah, I think I can start. But uh, yeah, the term queer, it's a it's an umbrella term. It has uh, for a long time been and it, it can mean a lot of things. So maybe like the thoughts that we'll share with you are very personal. So kind of like they represent our personal perspective on it. Uh, but like for me, it maybe it it means two main things. So the first thing that I see in queerness is the it's basically like queerness is somehow defined by uh, the state of something being different from the rest or from what is like defined as the norm. Uh, so by queering a spatial practice or practicing queerness in architecture, we mean like doing things differently. So how can we question what is already established, uh, the norms and the normativity that is reproduced by standards and codes in architectural and design practices today, and also like the effects that it creates on the bodies and, 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 and the people who are actually inhabiting these spaces and are affected by 
yeah, by, uh, surrounded by, by these infrastructures. So that's like the first thing. And then this, on the other hand, I kind of associate and we associate um, queerness with the idea of kindness, of caring for each other, of being yeah mindful and careful and just like attentive to, to everything that is around us, like including nature and other people. So we kind of really want to, by defining our practice as queer and by practicing that queerness, we really want to maybe critique a lot of like exploitative practices in that exist everywhere in the world and especially in, in architecture and design. And we want to really uh, maybe like recenter what has been marginalized in these practices, which is like the care and maintenance work um, and to really embrace the fact that we need more than just one in order to do architecture and design. So then to really focus on collaborative and collective processes and to like, yeah, end this tyranny of the one egoistic yeah, architecture, which doesn't exist for us. I think for me, I'll answer the question a bit like chronologically. I think we started our practice kind of as a, a creative outlet for how we work. Um, and then like to kind of get rid of all our frustration from working in an office. And then, so that was in 2019. And then in 2020, kind of what kickstarted uh, what we call now a queer practice of architecture is um, this project Safe Space that we did with a friend, which was like to talk about discrimination and racism in the field of architecture in Norway, specifically. Uh, and then like the last part of that project, which included a podcast and a series of small publications, was about like what um, towards like creating more equitable uh, architecture. And then one aspect of this was a queer practice of architecture. And I think right after that project, we felt like that's what we want to follow through, like having that queer lens, an intersectional lens through which to look at making and uh, thinking architecture. And then um, we really connected with the term, uh, like how Jose Esteban Munoz talks about it, I think in some ways of like this idea of queerness never being there. So this ideality and utopia in a way. So which means for us, it's a practice that will constantly challenge itself, doesn't have like a fixed form, that it will seek to always do better than it did before and then to challenge new things, like knowing that we will never attain kind of that ideality of society. And then, yeah. And then maybe lastly, because we also say that we're a bit uh, critical spatial practice. So like that comes from Jane Randall, uh, terminology to define a practice, which is kind of based on uh, critical theory and the idea of self-reflection uh, self and social transformation. So that's also really what we are focusing on. It's like all the uh, projects that we try to do is to deal with uncomfortable discussions, social political discussions somehow, and try to enact social transformations through uh, the projects that we do, whether it be either build design, but also like discursive platforms that we develop, for instance. Mm. So that's, I think, an aspect of queerness we try to, yeah. to integrate with in the practice. I think it's important to, to state that we're both queer people, uh, but somehow it's not the only reason that we're uh, practicing uh, um, queerness in architecture. Because I think even though for sure, like that, like the experience of growing up a queer person and a queer professional in this industry, like have shaped the way that we 
look at things and the way that we want to approach things. But we, I think like what Paul Antoine kind of talked about as like the first reason for which we got into this was very true because I think the, the we kind of see queerness as, as a very englobing sort of like intersectional uh, way to deal with all kinds of social injustices around the world because it proposes uh, an alternative for a different future. And it doesn't mean that we have to be queer in order to be interested uh, uh, or to employ queer theory or queer practices. And we don't mean to only create, I don't know, queer spaces for queer people, by queer people, for queer people, even though it is like an important part of it, but it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily only mean that. Uh, I mean, like from me personally, I think like queerness kind of opened up a lot of possibilities when it comes to dealing with uh, racism because i think that's like racism uh in architecture is maybe like it's what affected me the most and it's uh like after the the events of black lives matter in in 2020 that i think like that really took a toll on me and that's what really pushed me to in like to to study like social in, uh, justice in architecture it was first through the lens of of racism but then kind of like i feel like queer theory uh, gives a perspective that it maybe is more hopeful and it's more, um, it, it kind of like, it helps us to maybe like paint a different, like different kinds of utopias and ideals about space and about like, it gives us like solutions to how to solve certain things. So that's, that's kind of like maybe my access point into it. Thank you. It's really wonderful to sort of get a, a, this fresh perspective of, you know, like how you anchored your, your practice. One of the, the most recent projects that we also wanted to ask you about and discuss is the Dissident Publics, the Future Artifacts of Queer Methodologies. I know that this is a collective project with uh, many more architects, designer, artists. Um, but uh, as it was recently, you recently had the final exhibit in between May and June in, in Oslo, right? Um, we wanted to know a bit more about like how was the process and the results of these projects and how that helped you um, to sort of uh, continue or keep on discussing um, these uh, questions of, of queerness and what queer methodologies means and uh, also perhaps the other word that it's there is the idea of artifacts and what future artifacts um, meant in that context. I wonder if you can uh, introduce us and, and just narrate a bit about that project and that experience that seems very exciting. Yeah, so yeah, it's a it was a very, very uh, heartfelt project, I have to say, that we conducted over the past year and a half. So we were uh, so after Safe Space, which is which is a project that Ponantan mentioned, um, we kind of had the opportunity to be curators in residence at a, an institute, a cultural institution in Oslo, uh, where we were tasked to to come up with a project that deal with queerness in architecture, and then our way to approach it was to uh, initiate a co-creation project uh, that would involve. A lot more people because as we mentioned i think collective and collaborative processes are key to maybe shaping a more equitable 
built environment. So we had seven other artists and architects join us as co-curators and as collaborators of the project. And the idea was to yeah, investigate queer methodologies. And for us, queer methodologies lie a lot in collective processes and how sort of like how we can uh, confront uh, a plurality of identities in a way, like from each our own perspective, own experiences, but also own maybe queerness or relationship to queerness in that case. Uh, was a way, yeah, to kind of uh, have different perspective on the similar question to define a mo more encompassing maybe set of methodologies. Yeah. And then we kind of like, we really wanted to, um, yes, look at the impact of, uh, of the built environment on the, the, the bodies and behaviors that are surrounded by it. And we decided to focus on the idea of public space. Um, and that's when we uh, maybe coined this idea of dissident publics, which for us kind of represents so both public, the public space that can be defined as dissident and as well as like the publics, the different audiences and people that would um, sort of like come to that, come to terms maybe like with the action within within those spaces. So in so the 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 concept of dissident publics is kind of like defined as maybe like a co-governed and co-regulated environment wherein active transgressions of norms can take place and can be represented. So uh, because I think it came about as a critique to how um, hostile and, 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 and clinical urban spaces have become in cities today. And I mean, like this resonates really well with the idea of smooth city, right? That you discussed with Renee in the second episode. I mean, check it out, y'all. Um, and uh, so then we kind of like really <laughs> want to question that. And, uh, and, and, and want to encourage uh, and really embrace uh, the possibility of people transgressing norms because norms are there. I mean, like to go back to the idea of queerness, again, like norms are there also to be like rules are there to be broken. And then like th those norms are also built on like a certain stereotype of, of users that do not represent everybody. So then like, how can we uh, better that representation by allowing for transgressions to happen? And then maybe the idea of queer methodologies was like a set of tools that we collectively developed through like different workshops throughout the projects that led to a final exhibition. And then it was like really a way for us as a collective then gathered around that topic and that uh, title um, to come up with a project. And that project would be a spatial project within that institution in Oslo. That was the only kind of set goal we had in the beginning. But then we were really open to develop together what that, how that would come about and what it would become, trying to be very open to what everyone's practice is bringing to the table. So we really had quite a few like moments of sharing where everyone started organizing workshops for the collective from the perspective of their own practice to kind of bring in within the, this collaborative process everyone's input as being parts of the imaginary of the collective. So like really by having everyone talking uh, about their uh, projects, but also having kind of small exercises and workshops around their methodologies that they use and to, for their arts, their architecture, uh, their different co-production 
project scenography, like depending on everyone's discipline, we could understand what, how that could inform maybe this idea of a collective dissidents, publics, and like maybe clashes between aesthetics of different people, between where they see queerness coming from, what that means for them, and like kind of really embodying within the collective and the final project, uh, that pluralism of identity that we seek to see within public space in a way, if that makes sense. And then I think like what kind of came together in the end is this exhibition and public program that used the exhibition as a site for investigation. And uh, that was built, uh, like that space that was built uh, upon these future artifacts that you mentioned, uh, Juana, uh, which we kind of define as like traces and reference points at the same time. And then they kind of like they somehow are they are formed by acts of reconstruction and and tools of marginalized um voices and that what sort of like that are there to 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 represent our desire for challenging straight time and for a different future and then they would be sort of like um uh, hacked uh, urban furniture such as like the fountains and and the lampposts and the uh, maybe like the benches uh, and then like there will be a mix of like domestic and 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 public elements to create like a strange environment wherein people would kind of kind of like maybe have their own right to appropriate the space as they as they see fit and i think like overall how the project ended up being it also became kind of this literal patchwork so it was a very patchworky project like a lot of reused like mostly reused material from different institutions around oslo from also different uh, uh locations from where people could come from so paris brussels and like different objects and fabrics being brought in and then to create i think an overall idea of softness openness but also the artifacts came into play also in the idea of how the space would behave and for who the space would be designed in a way. So it was always meant to facilitate for appropriation also for queer community organizations in Oslo. So that was also something that we had part of the project was really like to shape up a program. So what are we designing that public space for? What could that ideal public space within Oslo at that moment be for? And then that was the idea of offering that space. So building this uh, project of public space as a support infrastructure, basically. So all those objects would become like uh, tools for knowledge sharing, whether it be like workshop tables, benches, and then could suggest different behaviors and ways of organizing and be there for hosting and caring for the communities that maybe are left out sometimes of public space making, uh, and then giving them that space for duration of the exhibition and hosting their own workshops, meetings, and giving them a space to exist in a way. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I had a question, but I think you, like every time I was thinking, oh, this is interesting. I'm going to ask them about this. Then you answered it on the other way. So, but I went, I'm just very curious about why, why did you name it uh, Dissident Publics? Why, why keep, why, why keep talking about public? Right. Um, in a certain way, because when we think about public, we cannot avoid thinking about the private. And when we think about the private, we think about binaries. And some, not all of them, but some of the of the, um, the let's say some of the of the things that uh, 
queer studies are questioning among them, for instance, Jose Esteban Muñoz, but just to mention one of them, is the notion of binaries, right? Um, he, for instance, uses the concept, or they, for instance, uses, uses the concept of uh, desidentification, right? To uh, precisely to, to question all of these uh, social normativities that end up producing binaries or forced identifications or well. So I am just curious about why did you uh, guys um, decided to to work on the public, which I think it's something that we can, I mean, in a certain way, I do believe is something that we cannot abandon in in practical in, in the in the real world or in the everyday life, you cannot avoid the question of the public, of the public space. But I am also curious about what you added to 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 the public, which is dissident. Why dissident? What is dissident about it? And why why do we still need to talk about the public in a dissident way, so to say, and not just uh, defuminate everything and and what ha- it, it, I don't know, for me in a certain way that can also produce a sort of anxiety, right? Like, okay, we defuminate the public, the private, and the, then what we have, what can we, what, what's there? Okay, so no, let's go back to the public, but let's think about the dissident public. Great question. I, I mean, like there are so many, I don't know, like I have so many thoughts that I'm just trying to structure right now. But like the first thing that I would say off the top of my head is that the, the plural form of publics, I think for us maybe defies the binary notions that like connotations that might come behind it. So we're actually, we're talking about publics, not only public, and we nowhere in the project, we mention the private sphere. So I think like we're not, we ha- we didn't define publics in opposition to private uh, in here. And it was more like to put an emphasis on the notion of public because somehow, I mean, maybe there were two reasons that I could retain uh, at the moment is that uh, maybe like a lot of like queer studies in architecture focused on interior and private spaces because that's where maybe like that was the safest and the most intimate and the most intuitive space in which queerness could get expressed. So then we wanted to maybe step a bit out of it and 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 see what happens on the outside. And then there was uh, a second argument that I'm now losing. But uh, I think there was like the idea of like defining the public as so as an adjective and as a noun uh, was crucial to us because we're not only talking about what is so we, we it's important to talk about what is public, what is public, what is considered publicness, because we feel like in a lot of cities today, especially because of neoliberal urban development, uh, public, the question of public land, for example, is being taken away, especially in Oslo, when like where the project like took place. Um, and then so that was that was important for us. And then, then at the same time, taking public as a noun was also like sort of like a step forward, uh, really questioning like who we designed for. And because we have their when when a space gets shaped, there is a public, there's an audience, there are people who will use them. And that 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 they that were were non-human elements as well, that, that those spaces should be built for. And so it's not just about the space per se, but uh, about what it caters to. And I think within public, uh, publics with an S is also this idea of um, pluralism. Again, I think diversity of identities represented within uh, the public and not going for public space as a 
sin singular object that is maybe the homogenizing factor or the hegemony of a majority to some extent that becomes expressed in public space. Uh, and also this idea of like commons is also linked to the idea of publics. So the idea of commoning, uh, cooperation, collaboration, but also conflicts, negotiation, all of this, but that also kind of an alternative system that would be based on a different exchange value maybe. Um, so I think that was also that that is sometimes what is being taken in that term publics is the idea of commons also being a new public space, neither public nor private, but really the idea of commons in a way. And again, like maybe like one last thing, just queer methodologies for us really like represents and like it, it works towards collect forms of collectivity. So then it's like for, for that reason, yeah, like public space or the public sphere somehow still holds an instrumental like role in that work yeah. because uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's that space that we believe that belong to, to the public and to, to more than just one. So somehow going there is, uh, was important. There is so much to talk about. I'm so sad that this is so short, but in a certain way, the, the notion of uh, dissident publics makes me think of, um, I don't know if you, uh, if you are, if you know the work of Rosemary um, Garland Thompson and the notion of the misfit to describe precisely uh, the material encounter between two bodies uh, that in a certain way do not fit one to another. So it is not just about the space as such or about the body as such. And of course, she's using it to discuss questions on feminism and uh, disabilities, but about the, the, the encounter, right? And in a certain way, I feel that that notion of, of publics uh, in plural also uh, brings brings the 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 issue of encounters of uh the commons of um yeah and i think also the idea of dissidence is also in that way like linked in that idea of resistance of failure of conflict so it's also i think this idea of not fitting and i think for us as a collective it was also important to represent uh, some form of like queer history manifests a bit like queer struggles physically also. So it's also this idea of patchwork stitching resistance, like physically the space was also uh, behaving like that. And then one artist also worked on that idea of reproducing through AI potential past memories that could have been erased of, let's say, a queer uh, marriage happening in Oslo in the 1950s or so, and also like documenting maybe artifacts on fabric of um, the first uh, lesbian diary that has, or piece of literature that has been found in Norway, like things like that. So there are like small bits and pieces within the exhibition that also talk about that resistance, talk about that erasure of memory, or maybe also this idea of future artifacts, how to create memories that have never existed, but also a story that needs to be told maybe through fiction, narration, and that's also an idea of dissidence and resistance uh, that's uh, embedded within that publics that maybe should be there and doesn't exist. So same, like ideality, utopia, in a way. Right now you are based between Oslo and Hanoi, but at some point probably you'll be 100% fully based in Hanoi. And I think the, this question of like the, how is it going to change the fact of talking about queer architecture in the context of Oslo and then talking about this in Hanoi? Yeah, I think that's 
funnily enough, a question that a lot of our friends asked us when we like kind of were also preparing to kind of relocate towards Hanoi and then it's been a bit of a recent move. And then I think I would say a few weeks ago before I myself just moved here, um, the answer was more towards like, well, that's the queer lens is the queer aspect of the practice as well. So the queer lens is this idea of challenging, finding that ideality, vouching for social, spatial and material justice within the practice. And that can take different forms in different contexts. And that also is really linked to critical spatial practice, how you enact social transformations within contexts. Uh, so then that social transformation is a self-reflection, but that also is reflecting the context. So I think in the beginning, we had like very much an idea of maybe we cater more towards like thinking about uh, uh, public space, about community, about everyday life and how that creates community within the city of Hanoi, for example, maybe infrastructures of assembly, support infrastructures that are in the social fabric and how to maybe support that through space making or through um, curatorial, editorial work. 